You're listening to this Sunday's sermon from Hope Church RVA. To find out more about Hope, plan your next visit, or support the work we're doing in Richmond and beyond, visit HopeChurchRVA.com. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. So glad to see you. Good morning if you're joining us online today, wherever you may be. So en route, and today we're talking about detours and landmarks. So will you join me? We're just going to pray for a moment. Good morning, Father in heaven, Lord God Almighty, creator of the universe, author of grace, giver of the gospel, healer, hope giver, restorer, renewer, God of Israel, God the Father of Jesus Christ, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Good morning to you, Lord, alive and well, on the move and at work in the world and in our lives. Good morning, Jesus, our risen champion, the suffering servant, the forgiver, the savior. How can we ever thank you enough for what you've done for us? Your word tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Through all the seasons of life, you are the stable anchor for our souls. And good morning, Holy Spirit, the present one, the indwelling one, the one who makes our heart beat fast for the gospel and for Jesus himself. Meet us today, each of us in our own places, our own lives, our own stories, our own doubts and dreams, our own tears and fears, our own hopes and desires. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll speak to us. Help us find you to be truly the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. You're 15. You're asking about friends and fitting in. You're wondering if you're popular and what people are thinking about you. Drugs and sex are around. You've been taught Jesus. You're doing a lot of sorting and you're trying to figure things out. You're beginning to clarify. This season is identity choosing. You're 25. You're trying to gain clarity. You're trying to figure out jobs, relationships, where to live. What am I cut out for, really? Is there a right person for me to marry and will I find them? Should I live in Richmond or Atlanta or New York or Charlotte or D.C. or Austin or who knows where? I think I should find a church, but I got Instagram and church feels constraining. The depth of direction you choose in terms of pursuing Jesus will have significant implications for the long run. A difference between a life of dabbling and drifting, perhaps, or a life with a compass and nourishing roots. You don't know now how much difference these choices will make later. It'll make the seasons beautiful or perhaps hollow, depending on whether you are close to the God who made all of life and is present through the happy and the hard. This season is life-defining. You're 35, you're married, you have some money, but never quite enough. A baby who's a gift and a joy and a source of fatigue. And quietly, you're asking, isn't marriage supposed to feel more exciting than this? Isn't he or she supposed to excite me more? We have a church, a place to raise our kids so they can have some Christian influence and opportunity. But what am I doing about my own faith do I have a real faith, a real relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do I know him? This time is an invitation to mature my perspectives and commitments, or perhaps not. 
This season is about becoming an adult. You're 45. Your life is now mostly the result of your own choices. You can't blame your parents anymore. Not if you want to grow up. Besides, you are one and you're not perfect at it. It's harder than you thought. Marriage is compatible, but feels mechanical. We're so stretched. Do we have enough money to cover college? A serious car accident for your teenager spooked you. You're still not sure or confident that the story you got from them about what actually happened is what actually happened. You got let go from a job and it was hard. You were angry. How could God let this happen? You got a new one after what felt like way too long. It's time to decide if my faith is going to be real or just a decoration. Can anyone help me with this? This season is about taking responsibility for your own life. You're 55. How did I get here so fast? Two kids out of college trying to figure out their own lives. Mom has died. Dad isn't well. How do we care for him best? Do I have confidence in what will happen to me when I die? Can I talk to anyone about this? Do I have a friend I could talk to about this? Can I talk to my spouse about this? I'm not a young person anymore. Have I set a good course for the way I've lived my life? This season is about deciding what really matters and taking action. Inside, you hope you haven't missed the point. You're 65. Retirement is on your mind. Are you ready for that? Do you have the money, the interest, the relationships? Your spouse had a cancer battle. It seemed unfair, but in the middle, something happened. You turn from anger at God to asking for him to become truly real. Your faith in God has become personal for the first time. Why did I become 65 before this happened? God, I wish I had pursued life with you for real decades ago. How can I help my kids and grandkids see this? This season is about leaving a legacy and an imprint that matters. You're 75. Two of your good friends have passed away. Early, too early, not sure if that would be considered too early, but certainly too soon. Absolutely. Your own faith has deepened and matured. You still wish when you were in your 20s and 30s that you had seen and realized that God is your life and not been so distracted by things that matter so little. You're still healthy and you want to see your marriage through so that your spouse, who is only human like you, knows how grateful you are for them. This season is about getting closer to God, to your spouse, your kids, your friends, your own end of life. You wish you'd discovered the importance of this perspective 50 years ago. How did you not? You're 85. There have been many experiences, joys and hardships, beautiful friendships and broken relationships. Your spouse has died. You remember the funeral and the burial like it was yesterday and the hard, hard soul work of making your life possible without them. The presence of their absence is everywhere in your life and in your house. Why don't you give more time to your marriage, more priority throughout the years, just to be together, to laugh and to listen and to love and to say, I'm so thankful for you. You did in the later years, but you wished you had seen this more clearly all the way along. You're deeply grateful to God that however it happened, he's become real and personal to you. Those 20 years ago, and now he is your companion, your light, your filling, your presence, your life. Yes, though outwardly you are wasting away, inwardly you are being renewed day by day. Your heart feels this. Your soul has grown so much. This is the season of preparing to go home eternally.
The journey of the seasons is full of detours. <clears throat> we try to navigate them by the landmarks that seem familiar, but the landmarks get disturbed by the detours, and then we're not sure if the landmarks were reliable at all. And then there are blind spots, blind spots. I bought a new car three years ago for the first time in many years, and I swear it was worth paying all that money for that blind spot thing on the mirror by, beside the driver's seat. A detour is a place we come to in life when it says the road is closed. And perhaps the first detour that we experience is that there are such detours. One of the things that can surprise us is that detours surprise us at all. Why are we surprised by detours? I don't know. We live in a culture that has suggested to us that we can write the script and make the right decisions and set all the right levers in place. And if we pull them all properly at the right time, then the script will roll out just as we had planned. And then we find out that things aren't going just as we had planned, that there are detours. So one of the first detours is that we are surprised that there are detours. Another one of the detours is that for some reason, we thought that these detours are unfair. Why do we think that the detours are unfair? Did we think that we are unique in experiencing the detours? Did we not know that when our friends and family members talked about the hard stuff in life, that these detours are common to all of us? I don't know, but somehow when they happen to us, they feel like they surprised us and that they're not fair. I don't know why so many of the words that feel like detours begin with D, or maybe I'm just playing with the words. I think the detours come in versions mild to more severe. I would include some things like just a general dryness. Your faith doesn't feel interesting anymore. The scriptures feel dry. Your prayers feel like words bouncing off the ceiling. That's a detour. The ones that last a long time can become more of a stumbling place. But then there are doubts that come with detours, maybe harder things like divorce or disease or death. These are tough detours to figure out in life. Yeah, the first big detour is that there are such detours. And then there are blind spots, blind spots that we didn't expect these detours and that they felt like they weren't fair. This catches us by surprise somehow as well. Psalm 16, 9 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Now, depending on who God is in your life, when you read that verse, I suspect it feels either threatening or comforting. If the idea is that I control my life and I make my plans, but the Lord determines my steps, it's likely that the idea that the Lord determines your steps feels as though he's some kind of an unwelcome outside intruder coming in to take over your life. And that doesn't feel comfortable. That would be in a place where we have yet to come to trusting this God. On the other hand, if we really do trust this God, when it says we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps, that feels very comforting. Like, hey, you don't have to worry so much. He's got this. So let's take a look at a couple of seminal scriptures, Proverbs chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 12, that may give us some ways to orient ourselves on the journey. These might be familiar. It says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you'll win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he'll make your paths straight. 
And then in Hebrews 12, speaking of landmarks, landmarks are those things we see. They get our attention. They're those things that are always there by which we can navigate our journey. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The primary landmarks in our lives are going to get challenged by the detours. The invitation is to switch our landmarks from things that are not reliable to the one that is. Note how clearly this section in Hebrews is saying, we fix our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. In other words, the invitation from the scriptures is to say, if you want a reliable landmark, if you want one to base your life on, then fix your eyes on Jesus. But one of the things that becomes very surprising to us is that when the detours arrive in life, we begin to have, let's call it landmark challenges. Like what is the landmark or the landmarks that I've been navigating my life on? I think for many of us in the culture that we live in, our landmarks are life as we imagined it would be. And we have this picture and we have this way of kind of driving the car of our life along this path of a picture that we imagined it would be. And that becomes the landmarks. And then when detours come along and things become very difficult, life isn't going as we imagined it would be. And so the landmarks are getting challenged. All the while, throughout these kinds of experiences and seasons of life, God is constantly inviting us to come to Jesus as the landmark, to come to Jesus as the one on whom we're fixing our eyes. So often when a detour comes along, we begin to run into a primary landmark crisis. Is the landmark life as we know it and expect it? Or, as we're being invited now, could the landmarks of our lives be Jesus? Richard Simmons wrote, In the midst of the storms of life, we will either allow what we are experiencing to influence our view of God, or we will allow our view of God to influence what we're experiencing. You see, the difference is quite substantial. Either life as we know it is the landmark, and then when that's getting tumbled around, it'll influence the way we see God, or God is the landmark. And then when the detours come, we'll interpret the detours on the stability of God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. It seems to me that no matter how many times we're reminded of this, it's very difficult for this to be realized by us. That Jesus, Isaiah 53 says, was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. So how did we get surprised by the landmark changes? How did we get surprised by the detours? This is Jesus we're talking about, despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. You see, in reality, when life gets deep, what's shallow gets challenged. So <clears throat> this is a weird, kind of a dumb story, but I'll let you be the judge of it. Anyway, a little bit of nickel philosophy. 
I was on the beach on vacation with my son. I think it was about two years ago. And my son is, shall we say, a little younger and a little fitter than I am. And I don't generally hang out on the beach without a shirt on anymore. Those days are gone. When I'm on the beach, there's a t-shirt. When my son's on the beach, there's no shirt. So he said to me, Dad, you know, I notice that you, you always wear a shirt on the beach. You're not like chilling in the sun. And I said, well, Dave, you know, that's a modesty thing. He said, really? I said, yeah, you know, I'm a pastor. I can't have people checking me out on the beach. So Dave gave a little subtle half smile. Uh-huh, he said, right. I said, Dave, look, here's what happens. When you're ripped, you got to cover it over with a little fat to hide some of the ripples. And it's just part of the deal. And he's nodding, smiling. And then I had this thought. Here's the dumb nickel philosophy. You don't see the muscle till the fat goes away. You don't see the muscle till the fat goes away. It's there, but you don't see the muscle till the fat goes away. In other words, when the detours come in life and things get really challenging, the muscle's there, but there's a lot of fat. And we don't begin to see the muscle till the fat goes away. And these detours are opportunities to see the muscle. They're invitations from God to find the fibers of strength again, navigating our, our journey by the landmarks that really matter. In other words, when life gets deep, what's shallow gets challenged, which is when life gets deep, these are invitations to move away from false places. I've spoken about this a number of times over the years. I feel sort of self-conscious about it because I think if you've been around Hope for a while, you'd be like, I'm tired of hearing him talk about it. But nonetheless, it's true to our biography. When my brother died eight years ago, killing himself, the emotional shock of it was the most intense grief I'd ever experienced. I truly wondered, am I going to survive this? In the midst of that shock, Elizabeth and I decided, what are we going to do? <laughs> One of the things we did was we went to CVS and we bought glass markers. And we started writing scripture all over the big mirror in our bathroom next to our bedroom. It was a way for us to just make sure that we had scripture all around us, that we were navigating this shocking detour through the words of God. We, brought these, we bought these bright fluorescent colors. And one of the scriptures that we found most meaningful was from, excuse me, from Psalm 73. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We wrote that on the bathroom mirror, and it sounds obvious. Maybe I was a little slow to the game to figure it out, but I was shaving one morning, and as I was looking at myself shaving in the mirror, I realized I can't see myself except through the word of God. And this became foundational in our lives. True belief is a forging process. Being called into the places of stable anchors is a forging process. 
And this forging process of shifting away from what's false and moving into what's true is an invitation that's available to us every time a detour comes along, small ones and big ones. In a sort of amusing observation, Andy Bannister wrote, I don't know anybody who came to believe in Santa Claus in adulthood, yet I know many Christians, often former atheists, who discovered God as adults. Every detour is an invitation toward true belief. We may find our way there with God's help, or we may not. So here's one of the things I have reflected on about the seasons of life. Seasons are long enough to feel permanent, and so you begin to settle into them, and then they surprise you when they change. You find yourself a bit surprised. I wasn't expecting this. Why was I not expecting this? Did you not know that fall was coming after summer? No, I did know. It's just that summer seemed long enough that we had settled into the patterns and the hot weather and the long hot days. Of course, you can flip it and use winter. Whatever the analogy, seasons are long enough that even no season, even though we know seasons change, They're just long enough to feel like maybe they've become permanent. And when they change, this can often catch us by surprise. And you can pick your metaphor for the seasons, whether it's my metaphor of the decades, 15, 25, 35, whether it's becoming an empty nester, whether it's you're no longer in college and now you're trying to transition into the work world, the seasons change and it can surprise us when they do. The tussle between the seasons is what makes the wind blow. Spring makes its approach while winter seeks not to let go. Then peace arrives with calm breezes. Seasons promise so. A peace now made sweeter by winter, slow to let go. One of the greatest paradoxes of our life and faith is that the hardest places can become the most beautiful. The detours that seemed most unsettling can become some of the greatest gifts. That's not to say they were easy or happy, mind you. I'm being careful with the words, but they can become some of the greatest gifts. I find that the gospel is laden with these kinds of what we might call ironies, things that Jesus said like, unless a person lay down their life, they can't find it. If you don't really know Jesus and you're not sure you can trust him, these words are completely nonsensical. I get that. But as we begin to trust Jesus, we begin to find that these words are actually making consistent sense with the experiences of life. The detours and the hard roads in the paradox can become the most beautiful gifts. Said another way, Pain most frequently feels like a place of loss, but in the presence of God and in the goodness of the gospel, our most painful places can become our finding places, not just our losing places. So often in the journey of grief and difficulty, it's as though there is a door that has the name of this particular detour on it, whatever that detour may be in your own life experience unemployment, weakness, vulnerability, failure, divorce, whatever it is. And with everything in us, our flesh wants to avoid going in that door because it just feels like it's going to be too painful if we go in there. Can we just put a lock on it and not have to open it again? 
One of the most remarkable gifts and paradoxes of the gospel is that it's as though God says on every one of those doors, open this door. I can meet you in here in ways that are beautiful. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Of course, of course, of course, because we know so little and he knows so much. Because we see so little and he sees so much. In all the detours of life, I'm not sure there is a more basic or more important theological truth than this. You can trust him. He loves you. You can trust him. He loves you. In the dryness, yes. In the doubts, yes. In the divorce, in the disease, in the death, you can trust him. He loves you. When you read God's word and it tells you something you don't want to hear, you can trust him. He loves you. The reason it says this is because you can trust him. He loves you. What am I to do with the detours and the storms and the potholes and the pain? You can trust him. He loves you. Somewhere in the midst of all the confusion, we need an anchor. Such a simple statement. You can trust him. He loves you. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. What we begin to realize is that the one great pursuit of life is the pursuit of God. What we begin to realize is that God's greatest desire for your life is an intimate relationship with you. And we've been spending all our energy on God, what choice should I make? And God, what's your will here? And what's your will there? God's greatest will his greatest desire for you toward you for your life is an intimate relationship with you. Ironically, so often as we begin to move through the years, our greatest desire is success the irony is we're not sure what it really is. So we keep driving after this thing. We're not really sure what it is. His greatest desire for us is intimacy with us. Callistos Ware said, Christianity is not merely a philosophical theory or a moral code, but involves a direct sharing in divine life and glory, a transforming union with God face to face. Nothing will offer us opportunities for this transforming union with God as beneficially as the detours. And when those detours invite us to come to him, we begin to have our landmarks adjusted from landmarks that didn't truly give us the direction and the value of a real life to the landmarks that are true. So we've been talking about these five practices, the things like, how do I do this? We're going to reiterate them through our weeks of this series because they do become grounding practices. All right, so how do we do this journey, this long haul? One, the perspective is an intimate relationship with God. It's not church going. It's not superficialities. It's not religious habits. It's an intimate personal relationship with God. Secondly, it's a growing prayer life. My prayer life, my conversational life with God is growing in its vulnerability, in its transparency, in its honesty. And yes, even in the length of its praying. And scripture is the informing center of my life. Amidst all the messages and voices that are out there, this is the one that's anchoring my life. 
Obedience is becoming the core desire that I have. Not because I have to, not because I'm going to be punished if I don't do it, but because I know that this is where my life is syncing up with the anchoring life of God and where the good stuff begins to become beautiful. And community, Christ-centered community, is an essential part of my practice of life in Christ, aka church, small group, whatever it is. What's the root? When we're talking about en route, what's the root? The root is the love of God. The root is the love of God. It is the road. It is the heart. It is the center. It is the goal of life. So I mentioned last week that while I was on vacation, I read a biography about Eugene Peterson. And I found it quite beautiful. If you don't know Eugene, part of my reading of a lot of his books is why I found the book beautiful. Eugene has a son named Eric who happens to be a minister. When Eugene was in his last days, his family were all with him. The afternoon that he died, his family was around his bedside with him. When he breathed his last, his son Eric offered a prayer. And in the prayer he said, And now, God, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the baptism of Eugene Peterson is now complete. When I read it, I said to Elizabeth, I've never seen that phrase in my life. His baptism is now complete. He's done the seasons. About two months ago, Elizabeth and I were reading a prayer book that we appreciate a lot. It's called A Diary of Private Prayer by John Bailey. And we read it to each other in the morning. And on this particular morning, I was distracted, sipping my coffee, thinking about appointments I had for the day, and she read it. And the prayer began, and it said, Now, God, as I move forward in my pilgrimage toward eternity, and he went on to talk about this prayer. I sipped my coffee, and I said, What did that just say? She said, now, God, as I continue on my pilgrimage toward eternity, I said, pilgrimage toward eternity. I have never heard a person describe life that way. My pilgrimage toward eternity. And so God invites us to the anchor that is Christ through the seasons of life. And the seasons last just long enough to feel like they're permanent, but then they change. And some of the seasons are severe, and some of them are comfortable and beautiful. Naming them truly, whichever one they are, is part of living fully in the midst of them. One of the most beautiful poems in all of the Bible is in Ecclesiastes 3. So I asked Dan if he would just read that in a poetic kind of way for us to conclude the message this morning. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 to 11. For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep 
and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end.